everybody and welcome back it's han talks first i'm your host han and it's a special episode this week it's a special day a special couple of days we're having because it's may the 4th may the 4th be with you guys it was a good it was a good star wars day this this year i mean we had the mandalorian documentary which just started the finale of clone wars we got some special announcements from lucasfilm and I personally got myself an early Christmas gift, or not Christmas, <laughs> birthday gift from none other than my beautiful girlfriend. And check this out. She got me this, The Return of the Jedi, the official collector's edition magazine from 1983 when the movie came out. And it's all, all in the behind the scenes and the pre-production of this movie. And in mint condition... And it's just so cool. It's like she knows I like Star Wars or something. Uh, for all the audio listeners out there, check out the YouTube page to see what the cover looks like because it's beautiful. And it also has some background illustrations too, uh, I assume from Ralph McQuarrie. Uh, just some of Jabba's palace and then of the Endor village. There's a glare, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that, was, that was a nice surprise uh, to get as well but yeah i hope you're all enjoying your star wars day uh this episode is a little delayed i'm sorry but i was just having too much star wars fun and me and my girlfriend both watched the the first part of the docuseries on mandalorian and we finished clone wars and uh i got us we're gonna talk about it today but it was all just so so wonderful uh, there was also something else we watched that's not directly related to Star Wars, but it is to Daisy Ridley. And that is, she was on a television series, or like reality game show series called uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. And she was one of the judges. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a, it's a, a drag uh, competition show where these girls have different types of challenges they have to do each week uh making drag and then presenting it to uh, these judges and each week they apparently have a new celebrity and daisy ridley was on this week so we watched that and it was really cool to see her and um talk about drag in space so <laughs> if you're interested go check it out i'm sure there's clips on youtube uh but the whole the whole episode itself was actually pretty entertaining not gonna lie it's not something i'm normally into but i had fun with it so anyway, again, thanks for being here, uh, for being avid listeners that you are. Uh, if you're on the YouTube channel, sorry, you have to look at my face, but let's get into like all the good stuff, right? So I'll start with like the special announcement that we got from Lucasfilm himself. Yeah, I'm sorry for the background noise. That is the puppy. He is slowly making his way to go get a drink of water. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'll start with the announcement from Lucasfilm. 
and it was that Taika Waititi is going to be co- is going to be directing and co-writing a new Star Wars movie, which is uh, we should have foreseen it coming. Uh, it's still exciting news. Um, you know, he did he's he shot the finale of the season one of Mandalorian, which was great, and it seems like that was his his testing grounds for him to possibly come in and do a movie. So. Uh, I have some concerns, obviously, with ever, with anybody who would come in to do a Star Wars project. Uh, mainly, it's just uh, has to do with the humor, uh, the Taika Waititi humor. All of his stuff is very uh, funny and oriented to Taika Waititi style films, and um, which I love. Uh, however, I, I'm not sure if it'll if it'll mesh in well with the Star Wars world. Um, but he's a, he's a great filmmaker, so he probably knows how to, you know write specifically for one thing rather than an original idea that he comes up with. So we'll see what happens. One thing I did think about when this came up was, you know, what if this is the movie that Kevin Feige is said to produce? Because remember a few months ago, Kevin Feige announced that he was going to produce a Star Wars movie. And it would just make sense that, you know, he he's the one who would pick the director. So maybe he pitched the idea of Taika and thereafter they were like okay well let's give him the mandalorian and see if he can do an episode on there see if he can like fit the star wars world and uh then from there they were like okay he's he's approved um so maybe that'll be announced that's my theory anyway i would like to see that come true but who knows maybe maybe he's just uh just kathleen kennedy producing it herself we'll see so let's talk about mandalorian right um there's some stuff I want to talk about uh, regarding season two. Uh, some comments Dave Filoni has made, um, the lineup of directors and characters, and also uh, just talking about the Disney Plus gallery of Mandalorian, the documentary series. So first of all, I want to talk about what Filoni said. Uh, Dave Filoni, for those of you who don't know, is the executive producer on the show and also um, co-writer, and he's directed a few episodes, and he said to direct and write some more in, in season two. Uh, but one thing that he did mention in an interview, uh, I think this was with Good Morning America, is he said, you know, we will not get answers to the lingering questions about Mandalore, such as why the Empire targeted Mandalore or what changed the tribalistic rules of the Mandalorian culture. Uh, what he said specifically is that I don't know that the job of this story is to bridge that. This story is about these characters and what they want. And with rumors of Ahsoka and Sabine and even Ezra joining the show, if anything, we will see what the Mandalorian people go through from Rebels to the Mandalorian TV show. So I thought this was really interesting because for me personally, one thing I was really interested in learning about is, you know, how when did the huge cultural shift happen for Mandalore? You know, this whole idea of, um, you know, you can't show your face or that they're in separate factions now. Mandalore isn't even, doesn't even sound like it's <clears throat> an, a planet anymore, a functioning planet. Uh, nor is it a race of people, but it's now considered a way of life. And it's all just very, very not familiar to what most of us who have seen the Clone Wars or Rebels you know, are familiar with. It's it's very different. And I was kind of hoping that we would get those answers in this show. But Dave Filoni here 
is talking about how, you know, we're probably not going to get those answers because that's not what this story is about. Which, on one hand, does make sense to me, but on the other hand, it's like, well, then why are you making a show called The Mandalorian, you know, and not giving him a name like Din Djarin of, of, Man- of Mandalore? I don't know. It's called The Mandalorian. You would think you would get more insight on what happened exactly, you know, rather than them just dropping bits of history about what happened to their people. You know, I, I don't know. I do think what's happening with them is very interesting. You know, they live underground, they're obviously in hiding, and um, they don't show their face, and uh, it's a way of life. I find it fascinating. I just, I really would, I really would like to know what exactly happened to them, how they came to be in this position. So, maybe we shouldn't get too excited about this happening in season two, but maybe season three. Anyway, now, in this quote, he also did mention that Ahsoka rumor about Rosario Dawson being cast as Ahsoka. Um, I'll talk about it in a second, but he went on and his response to Ahsoka being in The Mandalorian was, it's just great that when you get, it's it's just great when it's a present that you're opening on the day you're supposed to get it. And I love that quote from him. And it, it really speaks a lot about how, you know, it's great to get those surprises like Baby Yoda, for example. You didn't know it was coming, and if that was spoiled, it would really it would have made a huge impact on the way we people watch this show. You know, it probably wouldn't have been <clears throat> as big of a a response from people. And excuse me, water, my Star Wars mug. But yeah, so the fact that he's been asked multiple times about this Ahsoka thing, and he has always dodged the question. He's never said, "Oh yeah, she's going to be in it." One of the main thing he comes back to is he just keeps saying. You know, it's great that this character has been so beloved that even the thought of people like, you know, accepting or being allured to this this idea of her being in a live action is what really brings him joy. And he always diverts the question, which I think speaks volumes to the fact that this could be a true rumor. Not to mention also that Rosario Dawson herself has basically said that, you know, it's true. It's just not officially announced. So... I don't know. We'll see. But the fact that he also brought up the rumor of Sabine and Ezra being in it, like, what? he didn't have to say that. Everyone's talking about Ahsoka right now. He's the one who said Sabine and Ezra, which that would blow my mind. I remember when The Force Awakens came out and everyone was saying how that old man at the beginning of Force Awakens was supposed to be an older Ezra Bridger, which is not true obviously but i remember the hype afterwards people talking about that and how cool that would have been so i don't know we'll see i'm sure sooner or later the announcement of Nazario dawson being in the mandalorian will come to light you know the setback of the coronavirus and everything probably has pushed back so many announcements from lucasfilm that they were planning on announcing at star wars celebration this year um which is maybe why we haven't gotten a trailer yet either this time last year, we did get a trailer for The Mandalorian, so I think there's one out there. It's just, you know, everything's been postponed a little bit, so we'll see what happens. Speaking of delays and all that kind of stuff, he, he they did ask him about, you know, are there any setbacks on... This was on the Entertainment Tonight interview, which was great. You guys should go listen to. Um, they asked him if there's any setbacks or delays to The Mandalorian Season 2, 
because of COVID-19 and the lockdown and how Lucasfilm employees, uh, some of them have been furloughed. And his response was that, you know, they're still working on it and it hasn't really affected it. Him and John Favreau are working in post-production now and that they're working really hard on it. So I think Mandalorian will be on schedule and we should expect it in October. I think the problem now is everything everyone's doing it remotely rather than being together in a room. So it's probably just slowing the pace, but it will still be on time. Uh, I pretty pretty positive on that. So what kind of uh, directors are we going to see in season two? Uh, you know, season one, we had a great lineup of directors. I was especially happy that Dave Filoni himself was directing. And But now it seems that we're getting a bunch of new great content. One... That was just announced recently. Uh, two new ones, actually, is uh, Robert Rodriguez and Peyton Reed. Uh, this is amazing. So Robert Rodriguez, obviously, he did, um, I guess, more notably, was Alita Battle Angel and Sin City in recent years. But he also did, like, Spy Kids and Machete and um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico and uh, all this all this great stuff. Uh, Spy Kids 3D. Uh, <laughs> He's a phenomenal director, and it's interesting that he's coming into the Lucasfilm world because he kind of got his big break from George Lucas himself. When he was developing Spy Kids, he wanted to make a digital a digital movie that focused heavily on <clears throat> computer graphics, and it wasn't until after he spoke with George Lucas about how he was developing this technology that he George Lucas actually gave him some of what they were creating to be able to make those movies. Spy Kids, One, Two, Three, Shark Boy, Lava Girl. That was all inspired by the technology that George Lucas helmed through Lucasfilm. So it's probably um, partially uh, credited to Lucasfilm as well, as far as graphics and animation go. But, it, uh, you know, hands-on-wise, it was Robert Rodriguez's film. He did all of that himself in... Uh, in like his garage studio. And it's a pretty cool story. But Peyton Reed, he's the guy who did Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, I can't think of anything else he's done, but uh, those are the two most notable, I think. So it's cool that he's coming in. So we get a little Ant-Man flair. Peyton Reed was <laughs> kind of non-Star Wars related, but he was supposed, he's interested in developing a Fantastic Four movie. So he's a good filmmaker. So I'm happy he's getting involved with this. Um, but they were both recently confirmed for their involvement. Um, also returning is Rick Famuyiwa, which is great. He did that um, the egg episode in season one, and he also did the one with the um, the jail cell ship, which was what probably probably my favorite episode. Uh, it was really weird and different, and uh, it was it was just like a side story. But it, it and then that was the one that Dave Filoni was also featured in, so um, it was a really cool one. And obviously, Dave Filoni will return. Um, Carl Weathers, who played uh, Griff Karga, is actually going to direct an episode of season two, which is really cool. And the last one that we know about is John Favreau. He's finally getting behind the director's chair and um, going to direct an episode. So I can see that either being the pilot or the finale. And the fact that he's coming in shows that maybe there's something really important in season two that he wants to be a part of since it's his series. And we know we're going to dive into, like, Yoda's species and everything like that. So maybe it's the introduction of that. I don't know. But it's really exciting. And um, I don't need to tell you what John Favreau's done because he's done everything, right? He's done Marvel, Star Wars, 
uh, swingers, <laughs> the chef show. Anyway, uh, so that's directors, characters. What kind of characters can we expect? Well, a returning cast from everybody except Quill <laughs> and IG88 um, or IG11. Which one is it? IG11, right? I don't remember. What kind of Star Wars fan am I? Um, but yeah, there are there are also convincing theories out there that Boba Fett's daughter might appear in season two. Weird, right? Uh, I've heard Boba Fett, but uh, what I've noticed recently, people talking about is Boba Fett's daughter, and it's very specific. That's why I thought it was worth mentioning because <clears throat> it's not just Boba Fett, but it's Boba Fett's daughter, which opens up tons new stories as to like when did when did Boba Fett get busy probably around the same time Palpatine did right because it's it's unknown story maybe they're both the father and then their daughter was Rey cracking all the mysteries here but perhaps even more exciting news is that there will be an appearance from a younger Luke Skywalker the rumors indicate that a young Luke might appear in Obi-Wan Kenobi series 2 that are set before the original trilogy. So it seems possible that an actor in their 20s or 30s might be able to play Luke in The Mandalorian. We'll see. Um, and also, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was announced as being in season 2. That is not confirmed nor denied. Uh, but I think it's very, very cool. Um, if, it's, if she's not in season 2, she'll be in season 3. But I can see her playing like an imperial officer or something like that because she's got like such this 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 demeanor of an imperial officer, you know, like from the from the original trilogy days. So that'd be really cool to see. Um, I want to talk about the documentary, the Disney Plus Gallery of the Mandalorian, which is um, the first part of eight, and it's the first one was on the directing the directors, which was really nice to see. Uh, it was heavily highlighted on Dave Filoni, which which is great. Um, uh, but I kind of wish we got to know more about the other directors. One thing I, I was kind of bugged about was that they really didn't talk about, you know, how they all got the jobs, what made them qualify for such a position. Um, all that all that John Favreau really said was that you know you all like Star Wars. That was a prerequisite, and you all like Star Wars, so that's why <laughs> that's why we're all here. But um, it was nice to hear a little bit about their process. They mostly talked about how they got into it and how great Star Wars is, um, which is great, but I kind of wanted more behind-the-scene detail. Uh, but anyway, there's seven more to go, and I have some information on what the other seven episodes will be about. So um, they're said to be episodes containing the filmmaking process, the legacy of George Lucas, and Star Wars how the cast brought the characters to life, the series' groundbreaking technology, the artistry behind the show's practical models, effects, and creatures, plus the creative influences, the iconic score, and the connections to Star Wars characters and props from across the galaxy. So that said, what, what the other episodes are going to be about. I'm mostly excited about the George Lucas one and about the score, which is really cool, uh, because I thought the score was one of the most interesting parts um, of the Mandalorian as far as like uh, a new interpretation of what Star Wars music could be or just themes in Star Wars 
and I also think it was the thing that changed the most throughout the first season. It started off a little rough, in my opinion, and then it, it uh, gradually found its 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 voice and became its own thing. And uh, towards the end of the series, I actually really did enjoy it, but not so much at first. So I'm interested to hear about the process that took place, uh, because Lugo de Vingorsen, who is the composer, I think is one of the greatest of our times, as far as far as an engineering musician goes. Uh, the stuff he did on Black Panther was incredible and very delicate, and I really loved uh, watching the documentaries on how he did that music. So, and of course, the George Lucas episode. I, I want, I want, I want two hours on George Lucas. I, I would just want to, I want a documentary where I just watch what he does during the day. You know, <laughs> um, Dave Filoni was talking about how, you know, he hasn't yet shown George Lucas. Um, the Clone Wars, or he doesn't know if he's watched them yet, the, the last season, uh, because George Lucas is such a busy man. He says, you know, people don't often realize, but George is an extremely busy guy and he does so many things. So I would like to know what he does when he's not on set of The Mandalorian or working on his museum, you know? Um, is he really working on those experimental films that he said he was going to work on? Maybe. And uh, then uh, will we all band together to try and figure out how to steal them from Lucasfilm. <laughs> Just like the um, that uh, movie, what was it called? Where they, uh, Fanboys, where they try and steal the first copy of The Phantom Menace before it comes out. That'd be really cool. Um, yeah, that's the episodes um, that are coming up. Overall, I'm excited for Mandalorian 2 and uh, to hear more about this documentary, which we'll talk about later once the other episodes come out. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about Dave Filoni uh, because Dave Filoni, he's just the man. You know, on my notes here, I don't have anything written except for he's the man (laughs) because that's what I was thinking when I was making my notes for today's episode. Uh, I just want to talk about him because he's getting a lot of attention now, more than he ever has. And He's doing interviews. He was on Good Morning America. He was on Entertainment Tonight. Uh, he was on many other shows, podcasts, and, uh, you know, John Favreau speaking highly of him, uh, watching him in that the Mandalorian gallery do- documentary series on Disney Plus was, it was just so nice to hear his stories and how much he cares about Star Wars. And the fact that he's just a big nerd, you know, and I think what he did with this last season of Clone Wars, with all of Clone Wars, really is something really great and reached its 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 full potential. You know, we'll talk about Clone Wars for a minute. It just ended and it was it was a great ride, you know, the first 8 episodes like everyone's talking about were weren't really, you know, what we hoped it would be or you know, not what we'd hoped it would be, but just more finale-esque and the last four is really what, what like brought us all to tears and gave us so much joy and what we were hoping for, you know. That, those last, so I, I'll focus on that. So those last four, four episode arc was, that was what we were waiting for, you know. Connecting the dots between what happened from Clone Wars and Rebels. More, I guess more specifically, the Attack of the Clones movie and Revenge of the Sith. And we all knew that this 
series was going to tie in directly with Revenge of the Sith. But the way it did it, I think, was very interesting, and it was that it kind of took Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and um, Palpatine, and it put them all in the background, especially in these last four episodes. And they were mostly talked about in legacy, as far as, like, you know, when Maul was mentioning Skywalker. And they were like, well, what, what, what could Skywalker, he's going to become this a bad guy for Darth Sidious? And they talked about Darth Sidious being, you know, the all the all evil mastermind behind everything. And they talked about him as background uh, context characters, similar to how they were talked about in A New Hope. You know, how Anakin Skywalker was mentioned as uh, a soldier who died a long time ago in A New Hope to Luke Skywalker. And how the Emperor was mentioned in uh, Episode 4 and 5 about how he's just the overall ruler of the galaxy. And that's all you needed to know. So it was also tying in the fact that that connection between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. So I just thought that was interesting. I... I'm glad now that it didn't have any more Anakin or Obi-Wan or Darth Sidious in it because that story takes place in Revenge of the Sith. And I think Dave Filoni realized that when writing these episodes is that, you know, that story is already told and we shouldn't touch it or we shouldn't go into those events and see what what else is happening around the corner, you know? And it's a respectful way of doing it and just showing that, hey, other things are going on in the galaxy. You know, this show is about the clones and it's about Ahsoka. And if you want to know what happens to Anakin, well, we already do. We've seen Revenge of the Sith. So I, leading up to it, I really wanted it, I wanted to see clips from Revenge of the Sith done in animation and maybe Ahsoka goes to the Jedi Temple, but that would just be fan service. You know, if we think about it, that, that would literally just be fan service. There's no need to go back into any clips from Revenge of the Sith. We got that one where the Jedi were sensing a plot to destroy themselves in the um, their little roundtable discussion. And I think that's all we needed, honestly, because that set up Ahsoka's place in the story because she left the Jedi uh, organization a long time ago. And when she asks them, you know, what could be wrong with Anakin or who's Darth Sidious, and they, Mace Windu tells him, you know, sorry, that's for, for Jedi only. You, you're not allowed to know that civilian. I love that line. Um, but it was necessary to have that moment in there because it shows Ahsoka's place in this story. So you can go into these four episodes without having much context of what's happened in the overall show and be safe concluding the season and knowing each character's place. Uh, I am a little disappointed in the ending as far as where Ahsoka goes from here because there's still a huge gap of time between the end of Clone Wars to when she shows up in Rebels and figuring out what she's done in that period of time. But my main concern was that I really wanted to know how she got the white lightsabers. And I understand that it's not a story for this time because it does not make any damn sense. But uh, I really wish there was a hint or something 
you know, maybe she, she, uh, she touched the crystal and made it a new color herself. I don't know, but she dropped, she dropped the lightsabers or at least one of them. Did you notice that it, she only showed one lightsaber dropping in the, in the sand. And then Vader only finds one lightsaber at the end. So the whole Vader ending was really great. I love that it was all silent. <clears throat> and that last scene was really cool to see as a Rebels fan and seeing all of Rebels because it showed like a transition, not just in story, but also like as far as like uh, time, time lapse, but also there was an animation style change in that last scene from everything that's come before because it was transitioning into the style of animation that Rebels was done in. Specifically in, um, obviously, the Stormtroopers and in Darth Vader, obviously. <clears throat> and just the look and feel of it. It was showing you, hey, the world's changed. You know, this desert planet they crashed on is now snow. Um, everything's a little bit more simplified and and organized in a, in a empire way. Um, and everything's darker. And... It shows that they, they lost the Clone Wars. That's what this, the series was about them losing. And it's a great transition going into Rebels. And for those of you who have not seen Rebels, you gotta watch it. It's a rough start. But I actually enjoy Rebels more than I enjoy Clone Wars. The last thing I'll say about the Clone Wars finale is it didn't have that finale feeling. You know? Uh, if we're talking about how I think it should have ended, I think of season four of Rebels, honestly. The end, without any spoilers, the ending of Rebels was had so much closure for each character, and it had this very big, epic feel. And I understand that, you know, this was... It's, it's almost like they were setting, it's setting up Rebels. So Rebels is a continuation of Clone Wars. It's, it's Clone Wars seasons 8, 9, 10, and 11. So I get it, but Rebels really made me feel, and it really made me realize that it's over. You know, we're not going to get another Rebels season five or something. This one, it was almost like, okay, well, when's the next episode coming out? The whole episode itself felt really quick, but the animation in this one was amazing. One thing that Dave Filoni said um, in his most recent interview about uh, the last season of Clone Wars is that the main goal was just finding out what Clone Wars could be and what it was supposed to be and what the vision was by George Lucas. Um, he was talking about how George Lucas back in 2000, 2004 had set out to create a show in CG animation, which was newly developed and they were creating new technology <clears throat> and a new style of animation and that the goal was to always find out how good it could be and what the potential could become and just keep making it great and you can see it throughout the show up until the last episode that has some of the most beautiful animation in the entire show specifically in that um last sequence when they're falling down to the planet after the ship has you know exploded and that was a really cool scene. And to that, I think it was a great ending. The last thing I want to talk about with you guys is <clears throat> some quotes that were recently hit the news. 
and the YouTubes and word of mouth. Um, and it's some quotes that Sam Whitworth and Josh Trank have stated about the Star Wars world. So I'll start with Sam Whitworth. And he was on a Twitch stream and I didn't watch it. I have the quote verbatim here, but I didn't watch it. So I don't know the context, but I think somebody asked him a question about The Last Jedi or he was just talking and it came out of him. I don't know, but he had some thoughts on The Last Jedi, which I want to read to you guys because I, I find it interesting. <clears throat> so he says, The Last Jedi to me felt like a movie made by a guy who hadn't quite done his homework. I think Ryan Johnson's a talented guy, but Bruce Lee didn't develop Jeet Kune Do without learning Kung Fu first. You can't reinvent Star Wars without knowing Star Wars first, and he didn't. For me, make a compelling argument for why Luke didn't go help his sister. He continues and says, There were a lot of things in The Last Jedi I found compelling in a Ryan Johnson filmmaker point of view. They just didn't fit into Star Wars. I don't think he did the Star Wars homework. The themes, what it's about, what the characters are about. But as a standalone film, if I didn't know what Jedi are or who Luke is or what he represents, I think there's just some compelling things in there. If that's not meaningful to you, that's awesome. No, I'm sorry. If that is meaningful to you, that's awesome. So basically what he's saying here is he thinks Ryan Johnson's a good filmmaker. He thinks that The Last Jedi was a good movie, a good Ryan Johnson movie, but not a good Star Wars movie. And he all, he's, he's saying, you know, he doesn't think he understood what the universe was about. And I kind of, I kind of not kind of, I 100% agree. It's no secret or surprise that I did not like The Last Jedi, which is cool. But there was just something about it that just didn't feel right to me. And like Sam says, you know, for some people it, it works and it's the best movie ever and that's wonderful. Um, but there's got to be something about the movie that isn't right if it's so controversial even three years, four years later, right? <clears throat> it's, it's just, a, it, it's a very interesting movie. It, it's, it, it's a challenging movie. It's hard, to, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to dissect. For those of you who don't know who Sam Whitworth is, <clears throat> he is the voice of Darth Maul in uh, Clone Wars and um, Rebels. Uh, and he's also a huge like Star Wars nerd. And he, his head is filled with Star Wars knowledge. He knows so much about this world. Um, and he's just a big nerd overall. But I, I really like how he came out and said this because I often feel like a lot of people who are directly affiliated with Lucasfilm or directly affiliated with Hollywood in general do not actually share their feelings about The Last Jedi. I feel like a lot of people are silenced, not silenced, but maybe scared to talk about it or, or share their true feelings about about this movie in particular uh, because also there was a dramatic shift in what people wanted to or how many people wanted to make Star Wars movies after The Last Jedi. A lot of people were leaving projects. A lot of people were getting fired off the projects. A lot of people weren't were getting offered to make Star Wars movies, but then they, they just declined because, you know, they, they don't want to be harassed by fandom. Um, but I, I honestly believe a part of that is also has to do with the fact that this movie was a drastic change in what Star Wars means to, to not the people, but to the filmmakers themselves. And a lot of people just didn't agree with that. Now, I know that's just my opinion, 
And, you know, I know it might sound like I'm looking for an excuse to hate on The Last Jedi, and that's honestly not it. I, I just wanted to bring this to attention because no one from Lucasfilm has really talked about The Last Jedi in, in this way. And there are people that talk in a positive way, but it's very few. And when they do, it's very defensive. And they often talk around the, the subject, the, the issue, the main problem, <clears throat> which is the divisiveness. And I'm glad he was so, he had such candor in his response here. And that it wasn't too, like, it was a terrible movie, it was so bad, you know, it's not my Star Wars. I think it was a respectful way of saying it. And um, I hope it lets more people be open about their feelings about the movie. And I, I wish we could have those conversations and not have to worry about who's right and who's wrong, you know? <clears throat> but th nothing's going to change it. The Last Jedi is here to stay, and we have to, as Cap would say, we got to move on. So anyway, the second uh, little quote here I have is from Josh Trank. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know who Josh Trank is, he was the guy that made that movie called Chronicle, which came out in like 2012 or something like that. No, it was like 2009. It was really early. <clears throat> it was one of those handheld movies. I didn't really much care for it, but I remember at the time, a lot of people were like talking about how great that movie was. And a lot of filmmakers in Hollywood were very eager to work with Josh Trank because he made that movie. Um, but anyway, so Josh Trank was actually supposed to make a Boba Fett movie. Um, I think the announcement was going to come in 2015, 2014, something like that. <clears throat> um, now he was coming into the Star Wars world freshly off the Fantastic Four reboot, which um, would go on to be one of the biggest commercial and critical flops of that year. Um, and there were so many issues on the set of that movie, and it has to do with why he didn't get to complete his Boba Fett movie or start developing his Boba Fett movie. So uh, he actually came out and finally talked about what happened during that situation. So he explains that, you know, during the times of, you know, right before the Fantastic Four movie was going to come out, that everyone was talking about all the issues that were involving Trank on the set of the Fantastic Four. I don't know all the details, but I do know that <clears throat> it w a lot of the studio heads and executives were really taking over that movie and kind of not letting Josh Trank direct the movie he was in, in, you know, expected to make or intended to make. And um, so he was you know, getting overrun by people trying to make the movie that he was supposed to make. And um, it just caused a lot of drama, etc. And all of that talk and word about drama on the set of that that movie made its way to Kathleen Kennedy and then uh, and of course other people at Disney and Lucasfilm and they started discussing well hey maybe we shouldn't work with this guy if he's going to be, be such a problem so Trank explains that Kennedy and him agreed that he should cancel his appearance at the April Star Wars celebration where he was going to share the first details of his Star Wars movie with the world and at the time he had tweeted that he'd come down with the worst flu of his life. But the real reason was <clears throat> all this information about the drama on the set of the Fantastic Four had arose. And they just thought it would be better if they he didn't show up and they didn't announce the movie. So days later, 
industry insiders reported that he was fired from the project. And Trank said in a personal statement that he departed the film to, quote, pursue some original creative opportunities. Now, today, Trank claims, I quit because I knew I was going to be fired if I didn't quit. And Trank shared that he privately told his managers that he was done looking for work making blockbuster movies. So this article is a little a little wordy and doesn't quite make total sense. Basically, what he was saying was that he thought if he didn't quit, he was going to get fired because of rumors about what had happened on the set of the Fantastic Four. And they were going to fire him because they were scared of running into similar issues, filmmaking issues, drama issues, and he just decided to leave. And that movie, Fantastic Four, I haven't seen the reboot, but everyone talks about how bad it is. And it clearly affected him so much because he dropped out of making all blockbuster movies, which is crazy. But I thought this was interesting. I wanted to share it too because, you know, we get, we constantly hear about filmmakers coming into Star Wars and then they're fired or they left. Creative differences, you know, what have you. And, um, I bring this up because what we talked about at the top of the show is that Taika Waititi was announced to direct and co-write a new Star Wars movie. And now we're just waiting for the day to find out that he has left due to creative differences. <laughs> How sad is that? That as soon as we hear a new announcement of a Star Wars movie or TV show or whatever, that soon thereafter we'll probably find out that they've left the project. I hope that's not the case. I don't think it will be considering he's already done a Star Wars uh, TV show episode, and now he's going to move on to a movie. So I think it's going to come around. But anyway, that's the show for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have time, please uh, go leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps out so much. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment here. Let me know what you think. And let me know if you have any topics you want us to talk about on next week's episode. Tune in next week. We have a brand new episode talking about a bunch of new stuff. And... Um, we, if you, if you're, if you're not a regular, we release episodes every week. So get excited, get subscribed, like this video, like this podcast, and uh, get ready for more Star Wars. Now, somehow, some way, somewhere, this week, may the force be with you. Mm-hmm.